1: Welcome to The Times. To find out more, head to thetimes.co.uk.
0: Every goal, every game, everywhere. The Times and the Sunday Times. Now with goals.
3: Hello and welcome to The Game Podcast. I'm Gabriel Marcotti. And if you're wondering why I'm so chipper today, is just because I'm just back from uh, a trip to the U.S. and the Sloan Analytics Conference, where we could talk analytics for the next 45 minutes, but we won't. Instead, we'll have a normal game podcast, and I am excited because this week I am joined on the panel by Tony Cascarino, who was just telling me about his favorite DJ, who's a guy named Robert Elms, is that right? Yeah. yeah. If if you and Cass are (laughs) like-minded people, you can go and find him. I'm sure he's streaming somewhere (laughs) out there. And also, I'm joined by uh, Matt Hughes, who I'm assuming does not listen to the radio ever. What do you listen to?
2: Oh, I don't know, Radio Free. Oh, my God. Classical music? Yeah, in the car.
3: There you go. And joining us from his place up north, uh, where he's apparently just had a large box of women's clothes delivered to his house, it's Rory K. Smith.
4: For my wife. Yeah, for my Uh wife.
3: Uh-huh. Coming up, we'll be discussing the return of Rafa Benitez at Newcastle United, chatting through all the games of the weekend. But first, let's start with the magic of the FA Cup. It's Arsenal and Watford me. I'm going to begin with you because it's been two years since Arsenal lost the game in the FA Cup, which is just one of those stats that's kind of meaningless. All it tells you is they won the last two FA Cups. Cups. But it kind of got, <laughs> just gets sort of chucked aside by, once again, talk of crisis and whatever else. What was more of a blow, getting knocked out here or that first leg against Barcelona? I mean, what gives you more of a sense of another season of waste if, if, that, if you think that's what it is?
2: Uh, I'd say it's neither of those Actually, I think it's the, their Premier League form is the biggest issue I think really and it's just uh, mm. yesterday's result is the accumulation of just more more bad news and I don't, I don't think crisis is quite the right word it's just status at Arsenal, mm. nothing ever changes, they get into good positions to challenge then they fade away and other than the FA Cup they can't clinch the deal, obviously the Barcelona result was disappointing but realistically I don't think anyone at the club thought they were going to win the Champions League or even get through two legs against Barcelona. It's kind of a semi-implosion in the Premier League, going out of the cup, the best chance of the competition. It's just yet more bad news and more angst for those fans who as they are always reminding us pay the highest prices in
3: the country. Cass, it's hard to kind of escape this the sense of deja vu. Although mm. Fenger came out in the game, uh, or afterwards, and talked about how they outplayed Watford, they deserved more, Watford had only two chances and they converted both of them. Is this... Nonsense, or well, well, actually, they, I mean, or or, or no, I don't want to say nonsense. But is it kind of like, yeah, you should have more chances because you're at home, because you're a much better team. You, you don't have the lucidity to, to turn to turn them into clear cut chances that you convert.
0: Well, I, I don't think anyone before the game would have felt that Arsenal wouldn't have had more opportunities. And if you're going to win away games, sometimes you do what you do. And Watford converted the ones they did. Arsenal's got to look at his own team and think, well, some of the people I'm buying and or oh, he's bought to that football club have not converted their chances. And you just name said, names, name names. Well, Giroud's had a lean period, hasn't he, of late. Welbet's come back. Um, Giroud's
3: goals per minute uh, Yeah, yeah okay, very good, okay. Banger would but tell you.
0: This is Groundhog Day, what we've talked about before. <laughs> Look, they've lost the Swansea at home. That was a real big blow to their title chances. Then they go to Old Trafford and play terribly. And in between that, we've had... Obviously, the Champions League performance and getting knocked out in the FA Cup by Watford. So there's been a continuation of really poor performances. He clearly is not sure about his best team now. He's changed that forward line on numerous occasions over the last few weeks, trying to find something. And not one of his players has got to the level that really is what Arsenal are about. I think Theo struggled when he's played. He's come off the bench, looked like he's absolutely nowhere near on the fringes of games. He played at Old Trafford, didn't get a kick in that uh, in that league game. Back to your point about Watford. Did we really think that Watford were going to dominate the play and win the game and have a host of chances? No, they'd done it in a way that probably Swansea did because it's deja vu in the way Swansea won the game. They won the game with very few chances and converted them.
3: Roy, our colleague Henry Winter, who was your colleague years ago, as well, when you worked at the Telegraph, he came out uh, with, uh, he he tweeted after the game, basically, and and I am paraphrasing his his tweet, he said that Arsenal need a sort of a a review, an inquest, and it's got a concern, the dressing room, the, the, the boardroom, the medical room, you know, and I tweeted back and I said, so basically, everyone. Is it that simple, Rory, or is that just kind of like our reaction? I have to say, I totally agree with Henry there. But what I wonder is, are there actually some positives in the way Arsenal to, to take from Arsenal season?
4: Oh, that that's um, that's taken counterintuitive to the, to, to to breaking point. In that I mean, there are obviously they've, got, they've Arsenal have got a wonderful squad. They've got lots of lots of brilliant players. That, that you know they make a lot of money. They've got all, off the off, off the pitch. So there's nothing wrong with Arsenal at all. I don't think. I think the issue is whether in Wenger. They. It's not even that. You, it's not even that you need to, you, you'd solve it necessarily by getting rid of Wenger and and bringing in a new coach, and that might help. But it's it's more that for for ten years that and we've had this conversation a million times. We seem to have it about what a dozen times a season, whenever Arsenal lose a game. But for ten years, there's basically not been that ruthlessness at Arsenal. There's not been that sense that if they fail, that the players might sort of be out on their ear. They might be deemed not good enough because Wenger is so loyal and so faithful to his players.
3: Actually, that's you make a really good point there. I was thinking about this right, and sometimes clubs are, are, are too quick to get away or, or, or to get rid of guys, right? Or, or to write them off as failures. And can you think of guys who came to Wenger, or sorry, came to Arsenal, didn't perform, and then were kind of chucked out on their ear a year later? For example, I don't know, like, compared to like Chelsea, they signed Felipe Luis for a lot of money. Mm. He had a season where he wasn't even that bad, I thought. But then Mourinho decides he doesn't like him, and boom, he's out of there. And obviously it's difficult for Arsenal because they make a lot of money. Their players are high earners, so it's more difficult to shift them. But can you guys think of examples like that? I mean, I mean, does that support your ruthlessness argument?
4: There's a couple of kind of smaller ones, and like Sebastian Squillaci, people like that. You know, there's there's a couple of kind of low like profile players who've been brought in, not worked out, and been and
3: Joel and, Campbell. Well,
4: but Campbell's been around for yeah,
3: about, but then they had to take him back for yeah.
4: seven years, right? The no, I think the issue with, with Arsenal is that after a while, that, that sort of seeps into the club's culture. And, oh,
3: sorry, we had we had one from Cass, Emmanuel Frimpong.
0: <laughs> Emmanuel Frimpong.
4: He stood by him
3: for, for, for yeah, a fair did, while
2: I, for am I'm, I'm scratching, now I'm really I guess, scratching I mean, my head. Jose Reyes didn't stay for that long, did he? Mm. And Shavin eventually was bombarded. Yeah, but Archavin was
3: there for a good five years. Yeah.
2: There's a sort of softness from Wenger that permeates the whole club. They're soft in front of goal, they're soft at the back, and his decisions are soft. He, I mean, he, he, he kept giving contracts to Abu, the Abu, the Abu Dhabi for goodness sake. I mean, it's, it's not a charity He's, he was never going to be a Premier League footballer. He gave a new deal to Arteta and Flamini and Riziki when they're basically all past their best um, I, I, I think it's, it's ludicrous and there's got to be, I think Chelsea clearly decisions they've made have been wrong as well, they've written off players far too quickly and are now suffering for that but there's got to be a middle ground.
3: Let's talk Watford Roy because you always say that for a team to be successful they need a strong British spine and, of course, they have that in Cascart, in, in Watson and Dini.
4: <laughs> I do. I'm famously always saying that teams in the strong British. But I know what Watford, are, I mean, they've, they've sunk a little bit down the lead. I think they're 14th, 13th or 14th now, but perfectly safe from relegation. Kike's done a brilliant job. Uh, the Potzos have kind of shown that they do not what they're doing in the transfer market. They've turned Watford into a into a side that not only kind of can survive in the Premier League, but looks that looks comfortable playing in that style, that sort of counter-attacking style. Been a brilliant season for Watford, and more generally in terms of the FA Cup, it's great that the three of the four semi-finalists and potentially West Ham as well, are teams for whom winning the FA Cup, you know, Arsenal, it's meant a lot, but it was it was a consolation prize the last two years. It's a consolation prize when Chelsea or City or, or United or Liverpool win it. It's it's kind of it's great great day out, uh, but it's always kind of either an, an addition to the lead or to Europe, or it's a well at least we've won that that'll do sort of thing. If Everton, Palace, West Ham, or Watford win the FA Cup, it'll be one of the the proudest days in their history, and that's brilliant for the competition.
3: QC, what do you make of of the way they play and and the way Kika sanchez Flores lines them up? Because people look at it and say, like, oh, look, it's, you know, it's just counterattacking. And it was in this game, obviously. But it's also two centre-forwards, which not many teams do. And also, Kika sanchez Flores didn't come with the reputation of being that sort of safety-first manager, necessarily.
2: I don't think it's safety first. I think it's um, making the best of, uh, of what you've got and tailoring your game plan to, towards your opponents. So I've been to Vicarage Road a few times this season. They, they start games really quickly. They, they are they are attacking. They may not linger in possession in the way that Arsenal do, but they get bodies forward, and um, they've got so much pace in the team. I think they're actually quite exciting to watch.
3: Cass, we saw a goal from Guardiola, which <laughs> I mean, just looked to me like he just struck the life out of a goal, and it was it was great because I. Right, well, first of all, I know some people are going to be unkind to, to Robbie Savage, but I was listening to it, and I thought, like, he just genuinely got excited talking about it. He, you know, he compared it to, uh, to Stephen Reed's goal in a game that, that he played in. Remember, I, I tweeted about it. All these people tweeted in other great goals from the back mm. from years past with silly rats and stuff like that. Can you just explain, technically, how do you hit a ball so hard? Have you ever done that?
0: I could do a lot of things for you, Gab, and I could talk about heading, but I've never, ever struck a ball like that, especially with my right foot. The technique has to be absolutely perfect, and he comes onto it, he keeps his head down. I mean, it's very important, obviously, to keep your head down as you strike a ball. Comes over the
3: top of it. Do you want to ask about that? About the the head down? Because obviously, that's, that's, I think, everybody who's played it, you know, even as kids, like you're told that. But then I was also told that this head down thing is just something that applies to children. That if you're a professional athlete, getting your knee over it is a lot more important. You can have your head all the way back and it doesn't matter if you're coordinated enough. And in fact, you can get some sort of slingshot effect or something like that. It was. Well, I'm Mario Bain told me that. I, the Dutch well, I, I
0: I think it's a bit a combination of everything. You have to get all your body parts right, from your head to your knee to your, your shoulders. You're getting up. If your head is back, it's very hard to keep it low.
3: Unless you're really talented.
0: Well, and, uh, and I've never, I can't remember seeing someone with their <laughs> head. Yeah, exactly, like <laughs> Mr. Stretch. Uh, but it's a it's a, an incredible strike where the guy's got himself perfectly balanced. He will hit that strike a thousand times. He won't do what do,
3: do you remember ever hitting a ball that sweetly?
0: Um, I think I've done it once or twice in training, but I think I've probably kicked a thousand plus, two thousand strikes like that and never ever connected as well as he did. It was the perfect connection, something that he wouldn't be able to do again as well. Emulating that is nearly impossible. And it was beyond this screener before he even knew it. It was, I mean, you said Robbie Savage got excited, but. How could
3: you not? You're
0: <laughs> No, You're know, no, you expected it, to sort of. Well, oh, that was a decent strike, wasn't it?
3: It was no, an amazing the, strike. The, the, the guy's done, I yeah. presume, hundreds of games, and he's, he's talking all the time. So, like, when, but you can tell when his voice yeah, yeah, kind of yeah, gets. Yeah. You know, and I to, know, know, to be it, fair,
0: there was a two or three unbelievable goals this weekend, and that oh, was yeah. one of them. Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. Less unbelievable was the Gabrielle tackle on Troy Dini early on. It's off the ground, it's two-footed. I, again, we'll probably go back to referees on the show a little bit, but, and I don't just want to pick on them all the time, but like, 100 Mariners right there. Does he see something different?
2: I, it's hard to um, understand what's going through his head, really, because not only is he off the ground with two feet, he, can, he connects really high as well. It's not just reckless, he actually connects So, you know, clear sending off from my perspective and it's not the first time I've seen Gabriel mm. lash out lose his head I thought actually his first season at Arsenal he was, he was quite impressive and maybe could have been pushing Mertzaka a bit closer but since he's come to the side recently I think he's been been appalling the first goal yesterday was yeah. he, gave, gave, uh, he gave far too much space the long throw wasn't it Rodini getting the just, flick just on too, yeah, just yeah. too easy yeah. Um, and he, yeah he does make these rash rash challenges Arsenal really missed Kishani during his injury
3: mm. right Heaney appears to say or to mouth afterwards something like, "If it was the other way around, it would be a red." In other words, had that been a Watford player on Olivier Giroud, say, "The crowd, referees are human," blah blah blah. Are you buying this?
4: I do think that certain teams are more. There's probably there's probably evidence not only not to support what I'm about to say, but to directly contradict it. I don't know if it's the crowd necessarily, but I, I do wonder whether and Van Hal what Van Hal said bafflingly last week about. Uh, nice players shouldn't be getting sent off but I do think referees are probably sort of subliminally influenced by, by their perception of, of people and teams and yeah I mean as you say it's, there is no world in which that's not a red card and it's bizarre that it wasn't as given, given as one so I guess you do have to look for reasons it could have been his line of sight he maybe didn't maybe didn't kind of get quite the right handle on it I don't know or it could be that he thought well you know it's, it's an Arsenal player he, he, he was less prone to sending him off.
3: All right, moving on to Manchester United and West Ham. There were two big calls in this, and you know, let's start with the referees again. No, but not so much not so much about the referees. It's about it's about the... I think it's about the managers, right? Billich comes out afterwards and says that Rojo on Payet, and that was a tackle where Rojo slides in, maybe a little bit like shades of Delaney and Benteke, and sort of pulls out or tries to pull out, does catch him. The question is whether Payet was already going down and whether he should have been booked and blah, blah, blah. And the other one was on Martial's goal. Schweinsteiger runs into Randolph, uh, the, the West Ham uh, cupkeeper. Now, Billich goes out and says those are two stonewall decisions that go against West Ham. And Van Hau comes out, unsurprisingly, has a you 180-degree know, <laughs> differing view. Says Pyatt, quote, more or less dived. And he says that Michael Antonio picked up Bastian Schweinsteiger and threw him into Randolph. That goal should have stood. Usually we're used to managers seeing things differently, right? polar polar opposites. I'm wondering though, would it would it have killed him if Van Hallett said, meh, you know that goal? We were kind of fortunate. I don't think Schweinsteiger did intentionally, but he did hinge the keeper, and that goal shouldn't have stood. Would it, or or would that be kind of mediatic suicide if he said that?
2: No, it wouldn't. But it's very rare, isn't it? I'm, I'm trying to think of examples of managers who are generally genuinely honest, and there aren't many. They, they Do you think
3: he was not being honest on that one?
2: Honesty is maybe the wrong phrase, but he's. Do you, do you, saying b- what do you he believe Antonio
3: threw Schrein- pushed Schweinsteiger into no, Randolph?
2: Of course not. I think, I of those decisions, I thought the second one was clear cut. It was a foul. Schweinsteiger ran into him, even raised the elbow. It's, it's clearly a deliberate intervention. The first one is more difficult because Payet is diving and then there is contact. So is he diving to get contact or is he diving to avoid uh, Rojo sliding in? It's almost impossible to tell. So I've got sympathy with referee for that one no decision that you make there is going to be absolutely right. You could you could have given a penalty, you could have booked him, you could have given nothing, and all three of them would have been probably fair enough decisions, to be honest. Mm.
3: Cass, you, you've been in uh, one or two penalty boxes when there was a set piece coming in. The running into the keeper thing, I, there's different levels of tolerance, certainly in England, compared to perhaps due mm. to your time in France and whatever. It's pretty standard fare, isn't it?
0: Yeah, I think that's where the game is, that the lines of margins of success and failure are so fine... I mean in normal action I didn't th- really think too much about the incident with Schweinsteiger and the goalkeeper under normal time it's only when you see the replays that you can then see Schweinsteiger completely takes out Randall If there was an
3: official behind the goal he yeah. probably would have seen it but um, hey they're lollipop men
0: I mean I looked up Friday night and Bellassi's dive diving the box against Reading with a few minutes to go and then you're looking at Payet players are doing this Deliberately, and managers are... I mean, Alan Pardew had the week before the Ben-Ticke incident, and this week he had his own player doing exactly the same thing. And you think, where is the game? The whole management... It, they won't accept handing over any advantage or saying that they, their player did anything wrong. It's, we've got to a stage where, basically, the game's as dishonest as it ever has been, and even more so because the fine lines of margins between winning and losing are there for everybody to see.
3: Right. I, I correspond with, um, with a referee... And I think this referee might also have a soft spot for one of these two teams, but Is it
4: Lee Mason
3: no, it's not Lee Mason funnily enough, but he said that actually you know Atkinson had a really, really good game, the Rojo and Payet, It was just such a difficult, difficult decision that you know really you're gonna it's damned if you do damned if you don't and this weinsteiger Randolph he said from where he from what he was looking at, he said he he couldn't have seen it and so that maybe we should we should lay off the referees in this specific instant. He has a tiny little go at Howard Webb, too, saying, like, you know, unless Howard has superhuman powers, he couldn't have seen either incident clearly himself. Are we a little harsh in this case if we have a go at Atkinson?
4: Yeah, well, that, that's the, the thing, isn't it? That as soon as the re- referees can get 99.9% of the decisions right, and if the two that they get wrong are two that could potentially change the game, and in this instance... Did kind of change the game because obviously not giving the foul on Paye and not spotting the what looked like. I've got to admit this one side of one. I didn't see it watching the game on TV. I didn't see it first time around. It took a couple of replays for me to genuinely think, ah, that that looks like a foul to me. But the thing is that you, it's it's the same with goalkeepers. That goalkeepers do everything right for eighty nine minutes. They make one mistake. Terrible game. Same with referees, and that's kind of the the problem. I, as you know, Dab, As I say every time we talk about referees, I don't like talking about referees.
3: Okay, so talk about football. Who deserved to win this game?
4: I think West Ham did, but I think a, a draw wasn't wasn't entirely unfair.
3: Using,
2: yeah, I'd agree. I West Ham had far more chances, and then maybe just ran out of steam slightly. I <laughs> mean, United were better than against Liverpool, but that's <laughs> such Didn't a low base that it doesn't <laughs> really. It's hard to pen. It's a big improvement. Um, it's it's you, you, You're back West Ham in the replay. Mm. Really, Upton Park, emotional night.
0: Uh, I found it very strange and listening to the fans' reaction when players are getting the ball at Old Trafford now is quite. It's quite eye catching, eye opening, where the, the fact that you see, you physically hear, the fans are wanting the player to pass the ball forward. So when a midfielder like Fellaini or uh, Snidely, I know he didn't play the weekend, but if they get the ball and they're looking to go backwards with the pass, you literally feel the tension at Old Trafford because the fans aren't wanting them to do that. That must have happened ten times against West Ham yesterday, where the fans want the player to go forward thinking with his pass. But players who are getting the ball are so isolated all the time. Players are receiving the ball with no real option but to go backwards again. But
3: this is what I don't understand though, because you have Rashford and Martial, right, who at the very least you know, and Martial I I thought had a good game they're fast they should be able yeah. to run into space or run across the back line like yeah. as long as they're moving there's always a target right yeah.
0: Gab, a lot that, of it's a lot of it has to come down to a piece of individual brilliance to get past somebody uh, i mean i i don't see numbers in the 18 yard box with united i don't see uh, an intention of a midfielder joining the forwards to to create that, mayhem or more decisions for a player on the ball okay,
3: right if you're if you're fellaini and you get the ball and there's there's a dude in front of you, so and you're yeah. Fellaini, so you're like, all right, well, I'm not good enough to hit this ball to wherever Rashford or, and Martial are running to, but I am good enough to turn my rear end into whoever is pressing me, knock it back to, to Blint, and he's good enough, and he's not going to be marked because he's behind me, and West Ham only have one centre-forward who can't mark Blint and the other centre-half at the same time, and then that dude knocks it into space, right? I mean, yeah, it's, it's what Tony Pulis does, right? And it works. And if you have the right players, but you're
0: Manchester f- United, you can't have individual, isolated going for forward thinking <laughs> passing because you're saying there, Blind Blind's only option is going to be probably feeding it out wide because Marshall's hugging the line. He's got Rashford who's standing central on his own. No, but he should be standing. Player. He should be moving. Well, right? Moving, but he's trying to find a yard or two of space gap. But the problem is that no midfielder for United will leave their areas to get into forward. Passive right. move, so you uh, you get extra well, bodies. Isn't that, that,
3: that's I mean of the three who played yesterday? Herrera. That's Herrera's job, yeah, it's right? The chair, you know you don't want you don't want Michael Carrick sprinting forward no. because he's going to come back next week. So it's a coaching problem, is what you're saying.
0: I totally see why their goal stats are so down. It was galling how much better
3: they became when Schweinsteiger came on. I mean, they pointed this out on on TV last night too, but it was evident if you were watching it, all of a sudden you have somebody whose brain seems to be thinking a little differently. Even though Schweinsteiger is certainly not not fast or particularly athletic and he's had those injuries, it it, it was working so much better. Mm. Well,
2: because he can see a pass and spot it, but... Depen- so defen- defensively right. he's so um, limited now by his physical. Uh, but, 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 but but
3: that's why it seems stupid to me to play Schreinsteiger. I, mean, I think at this stage if you're going to play him you, you would play Schreinsteiger. You don't play Fellaini and, and maybe you know maybe you you play some 4141 variation where you have Herrera and Schreinsteiger. And, I think and playing Herrera deeper
2: behind. is the answer, yeah. Playing Herrera so with messy. Carrick These or It's a mess. pieces Spanker. just it don't fit no, together. It well, it I, think a lot, I think a lot of the problem is that the player, actually, I really like Juan Mata. He's, I know his numbers are good. He's beautiful to watch. He's a great guy, but I think he's just too slow to sort of the way United historically right. and the fans want them to play. He always demands too much time on the ball.
1: He- Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes, flat.
4: Rising sea levels, extreme weather patterns, extinctions of species. Our planet needs protecting. I'm Adam Vaughan, the Environment Editor for The Times, and this is Planet Hope from The Times, in partnership with Rolex and its Perpetual Planet Initiative. In this podcast, we hear from leading experts from around the world who are committed to finding solutions. These explorers, scientists, entrepreneurs and citizens are committed to a common goal, to protect our home, Earth. Listen now, wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Often comes back onto his left foot, and if you're wanting quick ball down the channels in the way that United have over the last 20 years, I don't think he's the kind of guy to do that.
4: But well, then there's Van Hal's selections as well. Someone pointed out to me last week that if you look at Schneidlin, they brought Schneidlin in to kind of be the energy in midfield next to either Schweinsteiger or, or Carrick, who were sort of you'd struggle to have to say that Carrick and Schweinsteiger between them, you play the two together, are a really dynamic midfield. They're a beautiful, sort of elegant midfield not especially dynamic so Schneidlin's meant to provide the energy but Van Gaal never plays Schneidlin in the games where you need someone like Schneidlin his, his selections Van Gaal's you know one of the best tropes of the last 20 years but his team selections at United even with the injuries have more often than not been completely baffling.
3: Hussie do you want to give the mighty irons some love here well, you I spent time with one of them at the end of last week as, did, I, as yeah, I, I did yeah I did
2: a oh. very um, interesting afternoon with Angelo Agbona uh, he was a top man. He gave me insight into what is happening at that club and we saw it again yesterday in terms of their team spirit and energy and their fearlessness, really. They took the game to United. Obviously, they would want to win the game, but a replay at Upton Park on a Tuesday, Wednesday night next week will be something that their fans will re- really relish.
3: Blackpoint on West Ham, Pirates obviously having an, an absurd season. If if I were allowed a vote and if Riyad Mahrez didn't exist, I would seriously consider him... Uh, for, for player of the year but that free kick you're going to shake your head now you're going to tell me that you've never scored a free kick well, I'm,
0: uh, no I'm shaking me up because I think you're going to ask me that
3: could you explain how he <laughs> no I <laughs> I, I realise you weren't that sort of player but you've played with guys who, who, who did that. that yeah Dennis
0: right? Irwin was fantastically good at
3: what, what's involved in that because you know Dennis Irwin obviously a great player but mm. you know we're we're not talking you know Zidane mm. or even Merlin Pjanic is, is, is it as simple as like players who can do this well, hmm. are players who practice for a long time, who almost have that. It's kind of like if you play if you play snooker or or or, or, or billiards or whatever. That's kind of the principle behind it. All the parts moving together.
0: I was lucky enough to watch Dennis O in practice. Uh, obviously, he had he had a period at Man United where he couldn't get on them because of Beckham. And I always used to think oh, you've got to get Dennis on some of these free kicks, because I'd watched him, trained with him, and he could get the ball up and down, and had a real belief that he could do that as well. He had a confidence. He was two-footed. Dennis could do left and right foot. He would whip them up and down
3: over the wall. Both feet.
0: Yeah, he could do both. Like feet. Andy Bremer? Yeah. Wow. He was exceptional with his two feet, left and right. And I always felt confident that Dennis could do what Pike, and you know, would put them in the top corner, make keepers make saves yeah there was a lot of hard work practice he would be out you know doing free kicks uh, after training but the innermost I believe is that they know they can do it they really believe they can do it that confidence to step up and say give me this and that focus having that focus at that period because some people think that you know if you could see that Pyatt was so concentrated and focused about what he wanted to do on that ball and how he wanted to show everyone that to produce the right strike and get it up and down so quick, there's a level of concentration, definitely.
3: What I'm curious about is how do you develop that skill? Because I'm, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm assuming when 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 you were a little boy or, or, or coming through the rank ranks, you probably didn't go and practice that skill. No, Irwin probably did. Yeah, he did. And, I, I'm just yeah. wondering how many people kind of get typecast to be well, you, a well, certain you, type. Can I, I just so, ask
0: you so, Tell you something. Look, when Gab, when you're in a group of group of 24 players, so you go training, you you quite quickly recognize who the two, three, four guys that on free kicks are better than others. It's a bit like saying, well, Tony can head the ball better than blah. Yeah, no, no, yeah, but, so- but I, I
3: understand that once you're once you're a pro, right? Mm. But, for example, Slatan is about your size, right? Yeah. He can do that. And I'm guessing that part of it is because when he was 14 or 15 years old, his youth coaches didn't just say, okay, Slot, done. you go in the box and we'll try to, you know, ping balls off your head, the way yeah. perhaps coaches did with you. Yeah. You weren't encouraged no, we weren't, to pursue that when no. you were a kid.
0: And we weren't told where we'd have to hit the ball. The, you know, our foot connecting with the ball had to be in certain positions because if you hit the ball on the top, it's going to go low. So they learned how to get it up and down by the precise part of the ball. If you take the ball as a circle, where your foot needs to get round that gives you a chance. But it's still, you know, saying mm-hmm. it and doing it are two different things.
4: Gab, can I just make a quick point on that paillet free kick? Yes, please. Uh, if De Gea doesn't have a wall, he doesn't score.
3: Are we going to have a go at De
4: Gea? No, well, no, no, I'm having a go at the concept of the wall. He was 35 yards out. Right. There is no reason in that situation to have a wall at all. It, all it serves to do is to provide the tater with a target and to obscure, obscure the goalkeeper's line of vision. De Gea did not need a wall. He needed to stand in the middle of his goal and watch the ball fly at him from 35 yards. He's one of the best goalkeepers in the world. He would have saved it.
3: We're going to talk about the return of uh, one of our favourite people in football, Rafa Benitez. I hope you p- gentlemen in the studio will understand if I if I start with uh, the man who uh, who helped Rafa write a book about football.
2: Touting around the Gallagher end all uh, weekend. I've sort of... <laughs> exactly. What I'm doing tonight, I'll be in the away end with, with lots of trophies.
3: Rory, this guy was managing Real Madrid until a few months ago, right? Mm-hmm there's a very good chance that Newcastle will get relegated, given that he didn't assemble these players. He gets uncomfortable if he's got players that he didn't put together. Uh, there's a lot of things that can go wrong. If he gets relegated, it's still a blot. People still bring up, oh, look, how can Alan Shearer talk about football on television? You know, that fool got Newcastle related ba- uh, relegated back in the day, right? There's a very good chance that he's going to hurt his rep rather than help his rep. I'm sure he's got a clause whereby he can leave if they get relegated or whatever, but even if he stays up, it's still Newcastle. It's still all those people who Shearer mentioned from, from Ashley to Carr to Charnley. This is still the environment he's working in. Why does he do that? Why, why doesn't he wait a couple months more, see what other jobs are out there? I mean, he's still Rafa Benitez.
4: It's partly that he really wanted to work in England, which is partly because of the Premier League being the place to be and partly because his, obviously his family's remained in England and he while well, he's been working in Italy and Spain. Uh, so I think that was a big factor. I think Rafa's always had a thing about Newcastle being a a kind of a properly big club within their city, within their context. So if you spoke to Rafa about and said to him, you could take either Newcastle or Southampton, say to most of us, Southampton look, look like a more kind of upwardly mobile, more sensible, more safe, more stable club. But to Rafa, I think that the kind of just the sheer size of Newcastle would appeal to him. Well, known Rafa, he'll have made a, a, a sort of detailed analysis of which jobs might come up in the summer. And I think he's looked at it and thought that in terms of jobs in England, there wouldn't be anything that would appeal to him more than Newcastle in the Premier League. And the timing was such that he had to take Newcastle when they might go out of the Premier League in order to try and get Newcastle in the Premier League next season. And I think I think that's the logic. I, he will know it's a risk. He's not stupid. He will. I, I think he might be underplaying that he will still be associated with the failure if they go down. At the same time, I wonder if he thinks it's kind of his last chance to get a truly big English club. If it doesn't work out, if they do get relegated, he has this break clause. All indications are he's got no intentions of managing managing in the championship. At that point, you wonder, does he then start to look further afield for his, his next job? Does he accept that he's had his final sort of swan song in England if they're relegated? If not, he's in charge of Newcastle next year. He can build his side, he'll get money, he can make it look like a, a Rafa Benitez team over the next couple of years and he can try and build something and all, you know, Newt- there's this idea that Newcastle fans are incredibly demanding, I don't think they are, I think they're among the among the least demanding fans in the country. No, I think
3: we've knocked that stupid stereotype on the head so many times on this show. So if you're, if in you're
4: Benitez and 18 months down the line you've got Newcastle to ninth, I don't know, next season and you've got a team that's playing decent football, intense, hard working, all that stuff that the Benitez's teams do you're looked upon as having done a really good job at Newcastle, so I, I think he's looked at it and realised there is a big downside, but he's obviously felt that the upside
2: outweighs it. It still is extraordinary, though, isn't it? If you, from what you were saying, Rory, you're sort of suggesting that this is his last chance in England. His two jobs in England at Liverpool and Chelsea, he's done incredibly well, really, yeah, over it, the it, piece. It, it, and it, also, if you contrast it, contrast his approach to that of, say, Brendan Rodgers, David Moyes, both out of work both keen to get back in their stocks are much lower than Rafa's I would say at the moment and they've not gone anywhere near this job or any any other job is it
3: maybe a process of elimination thing in the sense that you're not going to go back to Liverpool anytime soon he can't manage United or Everton for obvious mm -hmm. reasons Chelsea looks like they have their managers he's been turned down by Spurs more times than he can count and plus you know so that even if Pochettino leaves it's unlikely he's going to go there Kind of leaves of the biggest clubs, it, unless I'm forgetting. Oh, City have their manager too. That leaves Arsenal, and there's no guarantee that Arsene Wenger will ever leave that job.
4: I think he's looked at without question. That's that's absolutely absolutely right. So Rafa sees himself whether he. And I have to be quite careful with, with stuff I say about Rafa because Rafa is a very divisive figure. It's interesting that, that a couple of years ago he was linked with Newcastle. Two or three years ago, I think he was linked and with Newcastle. West
3: Ham last year too, wasn't he?
4: They offered him the job. West didn't they? Ham. And they offered Rafa the job, the job at West yeah. And a lot of fans, both at West Ham and at Newcastle, kind of kicked off as though don't like Benitez, not good enough, failed at Liverpool, failed at Chelsea, failed at Napoli, right. all this stuff, failed at Inter Milan. And it's amazing. And I find I find that genuinely amazing. I, I know Rafa and I like him, uh, and I, I am kind of partisan towards him. I'm not afraid to admit that. But I find it genuinely astonishing that supporters of a club like West Ham can look at a man who's won the European Cup, two Europa Leagues, and two Spanish titles, and think, no, he's not good enough for mm-hmm. us. I find that absolutely astonishing. What's interesting with Newcastle is that this time around there has been almost unanimous support for the fact that they've yeah. got Benitez in, which, which says something about kind of a how mm-hmm. far the club have fallen and how maybe that lends a perspective. But yes, Rafa sees himself as a Champions League coach or a coach who should kind of be competing to get into the Champions League. He has taken Newcastle because he is aware that none of those jobs are going to come up for him in the, next, in the, in the foreseeable future, mm. which means you have to then look sort of below that and see, right, well, how can I mm. still be in charge of a big club, not take a job that is, for want of a better word, beneath me? And he's looked at Newcastle and thought that if he can keep them up, he has a big job at mm. the big club.
0: I went to Rafa's first home game um, when he was Chelsea interim manager and they played City. And they'd just been beaten 3-0 by Juve away from home in the Champions League. And Chelsea were in disarray. And Rafa's first game, I was, I was thinking, what I, how is he going to change his team around and make them look you know, much more harder to beat and have something different? And they drew 0-0 against City at home. And to be fair, Chelsea didn't try and really win the game. I think Rafa was so concerned about just keeping a clean sheet. And I thought he'd done a great job for Chelsea in that, that time he was there running the ship against a lot of anger from the Chelsea fans, who did not want him as manager. But he managed it. I just thought, fair play to you. You know, that hostile atmosphere on a weekly basis at the bridge, he managed it and done really well with Chelsea. And I think Newcastle got a big coup. I think Rafa's a really quality manager that, I I hope I'm not wrong, I hope he stays even if they go down. We're all talking here that he's got his contract. I hope. Rafa would stay, because I think for Newcastle and for him, there'll be a lot more pluses.
3: Let's talk about the guy he, he replaced, Steve McLaren. I, I like Steve McLaren as, as, as a person, and, and the, the, the times I've met him, I like him a lot.
0: Stop saying that! Everybody's saying that! Do you know what? On, it's on important, the, On though. the Beeb, the, the, other, the other week, Martin Keown, who had worked under him, he couldn't have given a bigger indictment against uh, Steve McLaren. He said, oh, I've worked with Steve he said, yeah, fantastic coach, not a manager for me.
3: What surprises me tremendously is that if you look at his jobs after Twente, the first time around, right? They all ended badly. Mm. Right? He went to he, he went to Wolfsburg, that ended badly. He went to he returned to Twente, that ended badly. He went to Nottingham Forest, that didn't last very long, but that didn't end well either. He went to QPR in, in, in that it's
2: coaching QPR. coaching yeah
3: right okay or Mo- Mo- QPR in the Premier League no so like that obviously didn't turn into a job or some didn't have a massive impact there. Then he went to Derby where, admittedly, I don't follow the championship, but I did read up on this a little bit. They were in first place, and he won, like, two of his last ten games. Somebody told me, oh, but somebody named Chris Martin got injured, who's not the comedian nor the singer. It's it's a footballer in, the, in, in in the championship, apparently. That's great. It still doesn't explain how you win two out of ten games... And you drop out of first place, right? are you, You're probably more familiar with Chris Martin than I am. Is he some Ibrahimovic type figure in the no, championship? But he's, he's a good goalscorer. At a right. Championship. Yeah. It, does it justify you winning two games out of ten to end the season and dropping from first to six? No, but it wouldn't help.
2: I mean, it's the reason. The, 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 you, the you reason. Got the this time reason, and
3: time again, and, the, and then he gets, and then he gets the Newcastle job, and they even put him on the board. And that's odd, isn't it?
2: It was very odd. He was on the board and clearly meaningless, given he's lost his job <laughs> ten know. months later. I think what everyone says that the risk of repeating it is that he's a very good coach and he's lacking as a manager. He's too nice, too soft on some of the players. I remember covering his England team and it was cringeworthy. He was the classic sort of trendy uncle, called the players with their nicknames, Wazza, Stevie G, Beck, all this. And it was, yeah, it was it was embarrassing really. He was almost, he because he was over-promoted and hadn't managed at the highest level, he was almost trying too hard. It back, backfired pretty badly.
3: Would you have him managing H- Huddersfield?
2: Not at the moment. We've got quite a good manager. Okay, who is it? David Wagner.
3: David Wagner. 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 Wagner.
2: He used to be Klopp's number two at Dortmund, as I'm sure you'd know.
3: Wow. No, I did I did not know that. I had look, no idea. And
2: then look below the... Um, well, it's belt. difficult. Yeah.
3: It's difficult. It's difficult because there's only so many times... Hours in the day, and I only have so much space in my hard drive.
4: Someone told me the other day. Someone who, who watches a lot of the championships said that Huddersfield are the best side to watch in the championship under Under Wagner.
3: They're good at playing football, not great at
2: winning matches, unfortunately. Well, but that's, still, oh, that's we're getting better. That's good, right? Is
4: Andy Booth still there? I think
2: he's some sort of ambassador.
4: Oh well, he'd be a, he'd, for the what for the like for Britain,
3: or for Huddersfield. <laughs> <laughs> he, he, he's the Bobby Charlton of Huddersfield. Right? Yeah, quite right. He'll be appointing the next manager. Right, how about some quick hits? Norwich scrap and get a point as City huff and puff, but fail to blow down Alex Neal's house. Husey, do these two drop points mean City's title challenge is now over? And don't say it was over before last week.
2: I don't think it ever started, did it? They've not (laughs) been challenging all season. They've been off the pace. They can't string together successive wins. Underachieving hugely. It's just as well they've got past, well, they look like they're going to get past Kiev this week. Otherwise. The season really would be over.
3: They did win the League Cup, though. Everton joined Watford, Crystal Palace and the winner of the Manchester United uh, v. West Ham replay in the semi-final after beating Chelsea 2-0 and Romelu Lukaku scores a wonder goal. Roy, he is 25 on the season. Can you name me three Premier League centre forwards you'd rather have on your team? And also, does this help dispel some of the clouds over your mate Roberto Martinez?
4: Uh, the answer to the second bit is yes, definitely. It was a really, a really strong performance from Everton. Uh, very intense, which is what they've lacked at home, I think. Uh, and it did feel like a kind of big psychological barrier that both uh, that Martinez and the players spoke about, kind of getting over this mental block of playing in front of quite a fractious Goodison Park crowd. Uh, three other strikers I'd rather have, have ahead of Lukaku. Uh, no, I can't. Aguero, and that's it. Sturridge. Oh, Kane. Kane. Yeah, Aguero huh? and Kane.
3: Clearly, Roberto Martinez motivated by your. Uh,
4: in fact, very I don't, even, I don't even know if I'd have Kane over Lukaku.
3: In that very same game, Diego Costa got himself sent off, and everybody went nuts for at least twenty-four hours, suggesting he had taken a big bite out of good old Gareth Barry. Uh, Cass, it seems you did not, in fact, bite Barry. Barry himself said so. And when I saw the TV pictures, I'm like, what? What bite? I mean, he, he's putting his, he's opening his mouth, and he's putting it. In another man's neck. And unless it's an amorous romantic moment, it's not something you should really ever do. But are we making... Did we make way too big a deal out of this simply because it is Diego Costa?
0: Well, I think, first and foremost, Gareth Barry done brilliant for him because uh, coming out and making the comps he did, it was quite a creepy moment. It felt quite uncomfortable, didn't it? When you watch it again and you sort of think... He's nearly kissed him. <laughs> did you ever play against
3: or... somebody who tried to do that to you, and maybe went and like sort of like licked your neck or, or gave you gave you like a little a hickey or something? Uh, no, because I, I would imagine if you were marking somebody on a defensive corner, I had a
0: corner, love bite. I had a love bite, but I did wasn't from who a, f- from a player when I was playing France. A lad had sort of sort of bit and sort of sucked a bit, and I had this mark on my neck afterwards. But Which you had to and explain days, to the misses them days. No, I just said I got a bite during the game, but I, it was one of them. It was a. It was a moment that was am I going to have a 25 seconds here to finish this line right. by you, you this convincing makes him <laughs> uncomfortable
3: uh, was, clearly
0: it, but I had yeah I, but you know they're,
3: you didn't I, throw yourself to the I ground screaming I
0: didn't feel screaming. like a natural big bite I, I right. like Suarez about. which is obvious which yeah, is, yeah. Which is obvious, how Barry would no. have
3: reacted yeah. if he'd bitten him right Harry Kane bags two goals as Spurs beat Villa to keep the heat on Leicester uh, but Husey I'd rather ask you about the stewards forcibly removing two banners one anti-Randy Lerner one anti-Tom Fox. Kind of over the top, isn't it? I mean, I realize he owns the club and therefore the stadium, so it's technically his house. And if somebody came into your house in Sheen and started posting sort of hussy out banners, <laughs> you'd probably whoop them. But what do you mean, my wife? Exactly. Uh, but still, it's not really helping, right?
2: No, it is. So it is over the top stewarding, but it's not um, not unusual. We've seen it at Arsenal, we've seen it at Man United any descent is clamped down on, I think it's a little bit embarrassing, but I can sort of empathise with other fans. I mean, if had such a miserable season, they've got no hope, they're dead, dead relegated, the club is a complete mess, kind of, you know, daubing some words on a pillowcase is probably all they can do.
3: Remy Gard has another three years <laughs> after this one.
2: Well, he doesn't, does he? He's, he's, he'll be gone.
3: No, but I just find it extraordinary that you would give somebody a, a three-and-a-half-year contract. Uh, you can probably count on one hand the number of managers, who deserve contracts more than two years. And Remy Gard isn't one of them. Not when your team's in danger of relegation. Bournemouth down Swansea 3-2 as uh, one Steve Cook notches the winner for the, for the second straight home game, I believe. Rory, they're going to stay up. Can you please illustrate some of the broader implications and lessons to be learned by the Cherries' experience?
4: Uh, you don't make too many changes to a team that wins promotion, particularly one that does so in...
3: And if house, you do make changes, make sure they all get injured so they never play.
4: Yes, exactly. Although, I think what they what they did was actually quite impressive. They, they kind of said, right, we're not going to do that thing where we're going to go and sign 11 new players for £3 million each. We're going to go and spend £8 million on Matt Stradle, £10 million here, £12 million on a phobia. We're going to go and buy quality to supplement what we already have. Mings. Uh, Min, well, Mins means was obviously very unfortunate. Right. Um, as was I mean, losing Callum Wilson as well was a massive blow. Yeah, but no, it's it's brilliant for Bournemouth that they've said up, have a plan, have a style, stick to it, uh, believe in yourselves, go forth and multiply. I don't know, loads of stuff.
3: If you were Newcastle, would you have been better off throwing a whole just accepting relegation or whatever happens, and then throwing a whole wad of cash at Eddie Howe in the summer?
4: I can see why you th- why you'd say that, and and they'll come. Look, they'll come a point where Eddie Howe starts getting offered big jobs. I, I just won- I just wonder with Howe whether it's one of those things where it's sort of manager and club working in perfect harmony, and that he might not be able to replicate that success elsewhere. I don't know.
3: I'm sure he appreciates you saying that. The handsome and talented Graziano Pellè scores too as Southampton beat Stoke. But referee John Moss takes the headline again. Uh, he sends off Said Domane for no apparent reason whatsoever, and doesn't give a penalty when Jack Butland takes out Dusan Tadic in a classic. Foul plus yeah. accentuating dive situation. Cass, your verdict.
0: Well, obviously on the sending off, um, Marnay's it was bordering on ridiculous. Um, it's quite clear there's no uh, elbow involved. Uh, it's not intentional. He catches catches him with his head. And um, on the other decision, I just thought it was typical of where we are in the game. That it's for me that was one of the most
2: blatant of the weekend, and yet was waved on. Garb, yeah, one for you. Fascinating column for me today on Laurent Excellent, Blanc. Wasn't it? Superb. Is he really an A manager now? PSG have won the fourth straight title?
3: Not quite yet, in my opinion. Um, and it's obviously not the title, but he's actually won nine of ten domestic competitions since taking over Paris Saint Germain. By any measure, you know, even with all his resources, that is impressive. He's actually done better than Ancelotti, who you all seem to love, as do I, of course. He's done well, I, I think, in the Champions League. you know, Quarterfinal defeat to Chelsea probably undeserved two years ago. Last year, they ran into Barcelona, and then the quarterfinals again uh, this year. But I think most of all, he's shown that he came in as fifth or sixth choice, and he, he's managed to, to sort of add some discipline uh, to, to, to the squad and, and flex some muscles, which supposedly being a super nice guy he is, uh, and the soft touch that he is, uh, he wasn't able to do. So I think he's definitely somebody who's grown into the job. Right, that's all we've got time for today. Many, many thanks to my excellent guest today, Tony Cascarino, Matt Hughes, and from somewhere in suburban Greater Manchester, it's Rory K. Smith, sitting next to a large box of women's clothes, as we've discovered. Please press that subscribe button. We're going to be back next week. But remember you can get exclusive football highlights free as part of your subscription. It's just £12 for a 12-week trial. Just search The Times online. Till next time, bye-bye.
0: Your subscription to The Times and The Sunday Times now comes with access to every Barclays Premier League goal. Refresh your app, choose your team, accept notification, and you're away.
1: Thank you for downloading. To discover more, head to thetimes.co.uk. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust Oleum's new Custom Spray 5 in 1 gives you control with five different spray patterns, so you can tackle nooks, crannies,